0: Christina and I have a broken marriage that needs help. Does that surprise you to hear me say that? It really shouldn't surprise you to hear me say that. You see, we have a broken marriage that needs help because we are two sinful people. And when two sinful people get marriage, it results in a broken marriage. We are both physically, emotionally, sexually, and spiritually broken people. Every marriage is broken. Every single marriage is broken. Yours is broken and yours needs help. Do you want help? Now, every marriage is broken, but it would be naive to think that every marriage is equally broken. Jeremiah recently broke his elbow all right, but he's a healthy and energetic kid, and so it really doesn't slow him down too much. He's, he functions pretty well. Now, if you fell off the roof of your house and you broke both legs, both arms, and your back, uh, the condition, your condition would be much, much worse. It would be more severe, more debilitating. Every marriage is broken, but some are in much worse shape. others some are flourishing and some are failing some are progressing and some are digressing some are deepening and some are weakening some reflect the gospel brightly some very dimly and others not much at all and I would imagine that here at Jerusalem church that we have marriages that are all along that continuum wherever you are God can revitalize your marriage Maybe your marriage is like the embers in a fireplace on a late fall day, growing colder and dimmer. Now how does that change? Your embers need to be stoked and blown upon so that your flames can revive. The more uh, then on top of that, more wood needs to be added to your fire. God needs to disturb our routine. He needs to stoke the embers of our hearts and blow the breath of his Holy Spirit through his word right onto and into our marriages so that the flame can be intensified. And God can do that. That's what I want him to do for your marriage through this sermon series. God can help you and your spouse burn hot and bright for a long time, but you have the responsibility to obey him if your marriage isn't burning hot and bright it means there's sin somewhere in your marriage that needs to be addressed you see your problem is a spiritual problem to revitalize something is to give it new life to give it new vigor and vitality to renew and restore its health. And if you want God to revitalize your marriage, you need to be honest about the areas of, our, of your marriage that are weak, that are sick. We all have those areas. I, I bet you can very quickly think of areas of your marriage that are weak and sick. We have them. This series will help you identify some of those will help you perhaps work through some of those. So you have to open up yourself for God to poke around inside your marriage and to stoke up the fire. Now, whether your marriage is healthy or unhealthy, your embers need to be stoked and more wood needs to be thrown on. Just think about the wood of God's word. The wood of holiness, obedience, accountability, prayer, biblical counsel, all the things that intensify the heat and light of your marriage. you got to toss that stuff on. I want you to think about this. A roaring fire is both warm and beautiful to watch. It's warm and beautiful to watch. When it's cold outside, people are drawn to a a roaring fire. They they just want to get around it. They just want to be close to it. God can make your marriage like that. He can make your marriage warm and bright and beautiful and attractive to others burning to help others see the warmth and beauty of God. But you're going to need to trust God and you're going to need to do marriage God's way. Now what if you're not married? Don't tune out. This this sermon series is relevant even for kids. So kids who are out there, you need to listen closely to this sermon series because God's word can help you. It can help you make sense of your parents. It can help you make sense of your family and the world around you. See, the Bible, kids, can help you understand what love and marriage is all about, which might actually be in your future. Probably is. Marriage and family, doesn't take very long to recognize this, is under, are under attack in America, in the world. So singles and married couples need to know the truth about marriage so that we know what to advocate, support, and encourage. Biblical marriage benefits everybody, and we all need to endorse it. Even if you're Uh, never going to get married, you have benefited in some way from biblical marriage and can help uphold it. You can help preserve it, even as a single. So here's the goal of the series, to help you find more joy in God. So you find more joy in your marriage and God gets glory through your joy. That's That's what we're aiming at. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 9, nine, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Proverbs 5.18 and 19 mention rejoicing in the wife of your youth and being intoxicated always in her love. And I want to help you enjoy your marriage more. And the way to do that is to focus, for you to focus on desiring and enjoying God more. And when you and your spouse desire and enjoy God more together, your marriage will revitalize. It just will. If your marriage is ever going to revitalize, you need to understand the purpose of your marriage. What's marriage all about? What's it about? Have you ever thought through that? If you don't get that down, you'll misuse it, right? I mean, think about a Roman centurion in the first century. You hand him an M16 assault rifle. What's he, gonna he doesn't know what it is. He has no point of reference for a weapon like that. And it actually could be really, really dangerous for him because he doesn't know what it is and he doesn't know how to use it. But if he did know what it was and he did know how to use it, he would be at a huge advantage in the first century. Marriage is powerful. Marriage is awesome. But it's very dangerous. Very dangerous if you don't know what it's for and how to use it. And it's so often misused. People have no idea what it's for. They have lost sight of that. So what I want to do, I want to give you six points from Genesis 1 and 2, and the seventh is from Ephesians 5 to help you understand the purpose of marriage. Then we'll be able to better understand how to use marriage in the coming weeks. Number one, God is eternally and inherently relational. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created. So God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God existed before marriage, and he created marriage to communicate something about himself. God said something very intriguing in Genesis 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, wait a second. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is very clear, and it says, the Lord is one. One. First Timothy 2:5 says, "For there is one God. How can God say, then, let us make man?" Well, the Bible teaches that there is indeed one God, but there are three distinct persons in that one God: Father, Son, spirit. Remember the little line, Genesis 1:1 1, 1 is, "Father, Spirit, Son." Here's what I want you to see. Before anything was created, before anything was made, the Father, Son, and Spirit were interacting with each other in perfect relationship. Within God is eternal and mutual relationship and love. Connect that with John 17, verse 24, where Jesus said to the Father, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Each person within the Trinity expresses eternal love for each other. God didn't create humanity to meet any personal need of his for love, but rather to express his love to humanity for his own glory. An eternally and inherently relational God created marriage to communicate his own capacity for relationship. Number two, man and woman were created relational. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 show that man was created in the image of God after his likeness. It's totally appropriate to refer to humanity as man. Don't let the culture tell you differently. It's biblical. The Hebrew word is Adam and can refer to the first male that was created or humanity in general. And we see that in verses 26 and 27. God created both man and woman in his image after his likeness. Now, how do men and women bear the likeness of God? One note from the ESV study Bible says that we bear the image of God in our reason, morality, language, Capacity for relationships governed by love and commitment and creativity in all forms of art. This is what separates us from animals. So understand this, God created men and women relational beings. Relationship is built into us. It's it's part of our fabric, the fabric of our being. Why? Because God is a relational being. And he wanted humanity to reflect the glory of his image. Our capacity for relationships reflects the image of God's capacity for relationship. God also created us for relationships. Think about it. God created us to enjoy relationship with him. Not because he was deficient of love and and relationship somehow, but because he wanted to display the glory of his relationality in us and to be glorified in our enjoyment of relationship with him. You were made for the glory of God. You were made for the glory of God. And until you get that in your heart and in your mind, you won't understand yourself. And you won't understand how you should act inside of a marriage. God also created men and women for relationship with each other. You were made to relate to other people. Now let me go Michael Bolton on you. When a man loves a woman and a woman loves a man inside of the covenant of marriage, their covenantal love reflects the trinitarian love it was god that said it is not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him god said that adam didn't even know what was coming he 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 was completely oblivious as to woman which wasn't made yet adam really wasn't alone either was he didn't he have relationship with god yes yes But God wasn't talking about that. God meant alone in his humanity. When God said it is not good that man should be alone, he communicated something very significant. It's huge. you got to get it. One man wasn't enough. God made a counterpart so that human relationship could exist and more fully revealed the glory of the relational trinity. It wasn't that relationship with God was inadequate in any way. It was because God wanted to communicate Himself through marriage. Do you understand that you were communicated for close relationship with God and people? You were made for that. Single or married, you were made for close relationships. Close relationships glorify God. You can't love and obey God as a lone wolf. You were made for other people. The goal of marriage is greater intimacy with God and intimacy with your spouse that magnifies the intimacy found within the Trinity. Broken marriages, the problem with them is that they fail to glorify God as they were designed. And they, they fail to give God the glory that he deserves. We need God. We need close friends who help us glorify God more. I wonder if you even know what true friendship is. It's people pushing you and driving you to be more like Jesus. And you can't do that unless you get up in somebody's grill and you challenge them of ways that perhaps they're not looking like Jesus. Do you even have true friends? We were made for this, my friends. We were made to be in close relationships so that those relationships could help us be more like God to challenge us, to rebuke us, to push us on and encourage us, cheering us on. I wonder if you believe that that's what relationship is all about. I don't think you can have a fulfilling life without these meaningful kinds of relationships. Number three, God created man and woman equal but beautifully unique and different. Don't fight this point in your heart. Cherish it. Cherish it. It's beautiful and powerful. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, which means that both male and female were created in the image of God. They're equal. Verse 27 confirms it. Men don't reflect the image of God more than women and vice versa. Men and women have equal beauty, equal worth, equal purpose, even if you read closely an equal call to have dominion over creation. So, we must put male chauvinism and feminism to death in our hearts. We got to deal with that. Neither sex is better. Also, don't despise your maleness. Don't despise your femaleness. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. God decides maleness and femaleness. God designed you in a unique way to reflect his image as a man or as a woman. Celebrate what God has chosen to give you. Celebrate the gift of your maleness. Celebrate the gift of your femaleness. Our culture is thoroughly confused on this issue. Thoroughly confused about gender, about marriage, and can we just say honestly, it's completely hurting America. We have moved away from the authority of God's word and it has thoroughly confused us. Think about Bruce Jenner. He is a man in the image of God who has value and worth and he's confused. Who's going to tell Bruce? Think about California, which allows transgender students to pick which bathrooms they'd like to use. Think about the Girl Scouts who welcome transgender girls. Think about gay marriage. These ideas have grave consequences. We've got to get this. There is an inherent beauty and goodness in human sexuality. Maleness and femaleness are Completely equal And each of them reflect in their unique and beautiful way, the image of God, and that is really, really good. Men and women are equal, but they are beautifully different. Male and female, He created them. Our differences are what make Genesis: 128 work. Be fruitful. And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Men and women are anatomically similar, but by God's design, much different. They are emotionally similar, but by God's design, much different. Those differences are beautiful. And God created men and women to complement, with an E, complement each other, to accompany and balance each other. Our differences enable a really good fit. Physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. God said, I will make him a helper fit for him. None of the animals fit Adam. So God took a rib from Adam and he created Eve to complement Adam. Man and woman uh, were of the same substance. They were equal in revealing the glorious image of God. And yet they were distinct from each other and perfectly fit for each other. This equality, this unity, this diversity reflect, all reflect the essence of God. Listen to the answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism question six. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, And that truth is reflected when a man and a woman come together in the covenant of marriage as one, same substance, yet distinct and equal in beauty and reflection of God. Do you see the parallel to the Trinity? Look, if all the puzzle pieces are exactly the same, you have yourself a boring puzzle. It's one-dimensional. You don't want to look at that and you don't even want to put it together. It's probably pretty easy to put together. Diversity is what makes the picture beautiful when all the different pieces come together as one. Jerusalem church is what we call complementarian. Complementarian, which means we firmly embrace the equality of men and women while recognizing and celebrating their differences. God-given differences. And I think you'll have a much healthier and happier marriage if you can learn to celebrate your differences and wield those differences for the benefit of your marriage and the benefit of your family, when you pit the differences to get, uh, against each other, you're doomed. Complementarianism, or the truths of equality, unity, and diversity, can help revitalize your marriage. How? Well, they honor God. So start by honoring God, and they reflect Him. Number four, man and woman shared dominion over creation and should work together to subdue and keep it. Genesis 1.26 is simple. God said, and let them have dominion, man and woman. He didn't say, hey, Adam, I'm giving you dominion. And by the way, why don't you go ahead and dominate your wife too? That's not what he said. He gave dominion to both of them. He handed it to them as a gift. The command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion went to Adam and Eve. It was a shared mission. Men and women alike are competent to subdue and keep creation. They do it together. Now listen to Genesis two fifteen through 17 again. This should rock your world. This should really challenge you. Listen, listen to what God's word says. The Lord God... Took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Anything dawn on you there? Eve wasn't around. Eve wasn't around. The work went directly to Adam. God gave the work to Adam to do. Only then did God say, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God had a plan. God was going somewhere with marriage. He created Eve and he brought Eve to Adam in this great marriage ceremony in order for Eve to help Adam. Now here's what we can draw from this. Number one, men need help. Can I get an amen? And you could take that in a funny way. We need help. You know what I'm saying? But really, we need help. Adam couldn't do it by himself. God determined that men need help. If you're a lone wolf husband who thinks you can do it on your own and you purposefully keep your wife at a distance You are prideful, unbiblical, weak, and let me not overstate it, you're pitiful. You're pitiful. Man up, repent, confess your sin to your wife, show some humility, and begin to foster the strengths of your wife. Every true man needs help, single or married. Real men. Understand that they can accomplish more with help. Either from their wife, who is fit for them, or other people. Nurture the strengths of your wife so that you both can benefit from them. Don't be a bad husband. We have enough bad husbands. We need more good husbands because there are very few out there. Be humble and be helped by your wife. Bring her strengths out number two this one should raise the blood pressure wives were created to help their husbands and provide the fit they need if that makes you uncomfortable women you start to squirm understand i'm pulling it straight out of genesis 2 that's what's great about being a biblical preacher because i can just say it's not a problem, it's not with me you just grapple with what god said that's on you all right it's also 1 Corinthians eleven eight 8 and 9, which says this, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Then Paul added in verse 11, In the Lord women uh, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God take the point we need each other we need each other we complement each other this is so far from male chauvinism remember men and women are equal but god has designed them beautifully different and given them different roles and that's clear in scripture god gives men and women different roles eve was created to help adam that's just what happened that's what god did Men and women are different, but we complement each other. It's just a fact that, generally speaking, men are stronger physically than women. It's just a known fact. But not intellectually, not emotionally, not spiritually. It's biology, scientific fact that men can't bear children. God determined that difference. We don't get to choose that. The differences in roles has absolutely no bearing on value and worth. Just look at the Trinity and their different roles within the Trinity. It has nothing to do with worth or value. God has given dominion to both men and women, and he has designed them to complement each other so that their strengths work together to accomplish much good. You and your spouse are probably very, very different emotionally. Any amens? I see some laughter. All right. That should help your marriage and not hurt your marriage. I don't want to say much about this now, but there is probably a third point in here about male headship and spiritual leadership in marriage. You see, Eve wasn't created when God told Adam not to eat of the one tree. How did she find out? Now, God may have reiterated that law to both of them. Very possible. But perhaps Adam, perhaps his role was about bringing Eve along and teaching her what God has said. He was supposed to protect her. And when we get to Genesis 3, we're going to see that Adam completely failed as a spiritual leader. He wasn't there to protect his wife. He just sat there as she went. We're going to dig into that more. We'll get to that next week. So here's the point. Marriage is teamwork. It's obeying God by subduing and keeping creation together, together As we use our strengths together, we reflect how Father, Son, and Spirit work together in perfect harmony, in creation and in redemption. In marriage, we need a division of labor, absolutely. Absolutely. God calls men and women to different roles, absolutely. But the work was given to the man first, and the wife came along to help, and now they work as a team, and this reflects the nature and character of God. Don't allow your differences to destroy you. Wield them. Put them to use for the benefit of both of you, for the benefit of your kids, for the benefit of your grandkids, for the benefit of society and culture and the world. We must do this. The sooner you can work together as a team with your spouse to utilize your diversity for the strength of your marriage, the sooner you will see revitalization in marriage and experience the joy and satisfaction of serving God together as one, and that glorifies God. That's what we're aiming at. Number five, together God blessed both man and woman. Genesis one twenty-eight says, and God blessed them. Man and woman we're equally blessed by God, blessed with life, blessed with the presence of God, blessed with paradise, blessed with meaningful work and responsibility, and blessed with a joyful and God honoring friendship and marriage. Perhaps for you right now, marriage does not feel like a blessing. And I bet your marriage would immediately on the spot start to improve. If every day you just set out to do one thing, honor God by being a blessing to your spouse, I guarantee you it's going to improve. If you set out to be a blessing to your spouse, you see, you are a channel through which God dispenses huge blessing onto your spouse. Every day you have an opportunity to point your spouse to God to help them draw closer to God by simply being a blessing to them. Number six, man and woman and marriage elevated creation from good to very good. Throughout Genesis 1, you'll see that creation is good, 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 but only after God created man, woman, marriage, sex, and the dream of family does it become very good. Creation is very good in God's eyes in part because of marriage. Marriage isn't ball and chain. It's not ball and chain. It's a very good blessing. Your marriage might feel like ball and chain sometimes, all right, but that's because your marriage is broken and you're broken. Marriage is meant to be very good for husband and wife. God designed it to be very good for husband and wife. Marriage is one way that we experience the goodness of God and communicate together the goodness of God. If your marriage is exciting, joyful, and honors God, you will flat out be a societal anomaly. People will notice. You're going to stick out because people don't see God-honoring marriages. And and they'll watch, and they're going to wonder, how do they do that? And there it is. There's the opportunity for Christ to shine and his supremacy to shine. There's the opportunity for you and your spouse to communicate Christ. We need more Christ-centered, intimate, exciting, and fun marriages. We already have too many mediocre and miserable marriages. We already see all the, the destruction that they bring in our culture and society. Love and glorify God by having a great marriage. Invest in it. Spend some time to grow. God can make marriage very good. That's because God is very good and marriage is meant to reflect Him. Why are so many marriages completely mediocre and completely miserable? Well, there are many reasons for that, but the most basic one is that so many couples have lost sight of the purpose of their marriage. They think their marriage is about them, and that's where they go wrong. Marriage is not about you. Let me say it again. Marriage is not about you. It's about God. Marriage is meant to enlarge people's view of God, to help them see God more clearly, to help them enjoy God. The marriage covenant is simply a likeness of God's greater covenant with us. And if more people believe that, if more husband and, and wives believe that, we would have much hel- uh, healthier and happier marriages. Think about it this way. Mission trips aren't very effective when what drives them is the desire to travel cool places and to have a glorified vacation. They work much better when something supersedes that, a desire to reach people for Christ. That's what makes mission trips exciting and purposeful and awesome. The why is critical. When our marriages become all about our happiness, our needs, our wants, our desires, our self image, our loneliness, our finances, our stability, our safety, our hopes, our dreams, even if we make marriage about our spouse, marriage will quickly become a source of frustration and pain in your life, and our joy and pleasure in marriage will be diminished, if not completely lost. But when our marriage is a vehicle to pursue our greatest joy and pleasure in God together, then our marriage becomes an environment where joy and pleasure flourish and thrive and grow. Listen to this important statement. The way to maximize your joy and pleasure in marriage is to pursue your greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above your marriage and everything else marriage is intended to make you and your spouse closer to god that's what it's for to glorify him together that's the big picture that that's what so many people just They don't get, they can't see it, and their marriage suffers as a result, and you can see that very clearly. If you don't get the big picture, you'll misuse your marriage to gratify your own selfish desires. That's why so many people are miserable in marriage. It's all about them and what they can get and pull from marriage and from their spouse. They trust their spouse instead of trusting God. And they destroy their marriage, and they destroy their own joy while they do it. God made you a husband so you could help your wife find her greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ now and forever. God made you a wife so that you could help your husband find his greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ now and forever. If you both act on that one idea, it will revitalize your marriage. Number seven is where it all comes together. Number seven, marriage is all about magnifying God's awesomeness. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, quote Genesis 2, 24 and say, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then verse 32 captures the ultimate purpose of marriage. It says, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ, and the church. Marriage is all about the gospel. Marriage is all about God sending his only son, Jesus, to redeem a lost humanity through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and to win his bride, the church, for himself. Marriage should reflect a greater sacrificial love that God has and that Christ has for his church. And then the devotion and submission that the, Christ, that the church has for Christ. Marriage is a portrait of the gospel. The healthiest and happiest marriages are the ones where husband and wife work together to conform their marriage to the word of God, Jesus Christ, in order to magnify the extravagant love of God. You're both going to sin against each other. And when you do... If your marriage is all about magnifying God's awesomeness, then forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, and encouragement will triumph over blame, callousness, anger, bitterness, hatred, and discouragement. Christina has shown me grace upon grace upon grace in our marriage. I have wounded her. I have sinned against her multiple times over and over again, And she has shown me tender grace and forgiveness. Do you know what that does for me as her husband and what that does for our marriage? Hear this. I've tasted the awesomeness of God through her. And it has motivated me to draw closer to God and to be a better man, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better pastor, all of which Christina benefits from. Do you understand how that works? God can revitalize your marriage. He really can, but He won't. He won't until you begin to see your marriage the way that He does Marriage is all about God. If you make it all about God, here's what will happen. Even if your spouse doesn't, even if your spouse is not with you, even if your spouse is unresponsive, forget about them for a moment, you will draw closer to Jesus Christ. And as you do, he will take you deeper and deeper into the joy that only he can give. You will experience more fully the glory and joy of God And you will find your greatest joy and pleasure, but it won't be in your spouse and it won't be in a perfect marriage and it won't be in marriage in general. It's going to be in God. It's going to be in the gospel. It's going to be in grace. Your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is about the supremacy of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the very clear word that you give us And I pray that your people would draw very close to your word, that they would study it, because the chances are a lot of, well, maybe not a lot, but at least a few of our marriages are really hurting right now, and they need you to stoke the embers of both of their hearts so that they can see the fire again. That will not happen, God, without them clashing with your holy word and allowing it to blow on their marriage, allowing the Holy Spirit through the truth of your word to blow on their marriage to get those embers getting hotter and then throwing on more word, more word, more accountability, more prayer, more selflessness, more obedience onto that fire so we can just blaze hot, white hot, with affection for you, God, and affection for each other. My prayer is simple. Revitalize the marriages of Jerusalem church.